welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. This week's episode features Melissa Sparrow. She's the U.S. president of Shiseido. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured a sutra owner and CEO, Stephanie Morimoto. Hope you enjoy the shows. Good afternoon, Jody. How's it going? Hi, Carrie. Nice to see you. Likewise. So I have a question for you. Ooh, I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> Did you ever happen to have a job as a teenager working at the mall? Yes. How did you know? <laughs> I just had a sneaky suspicion. Well, I think if you're my age, I'm in my 40s, you probably had a job at the mall. I think that's just the way it was. It was a rite of passage in a way. Well, yeah, I worked at Express, which I actually wore a lot of Express clothes back then, and I folded sweaters. Did you take full advantage of the employee discount? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, I don't actually remember anything but this um, device for folding sweaters, which is like a cardboard divider that you fold sweaters around. That's all I remember doing. I want one of those for my home. They look so fun, like the fold, fold, flap. (laughs) It's like a machine. Like what is the equivalent for today of the mall job, right? Since malls are not as popular, it's not as many stores. I wonder what young people are doing for that side hustle. That is a great question. If any of our listeners know, please comment because we're actually genuinely curious. Um, So something that Melissa talks about is how she went to get a job at the mall and she really wanted to be a Mac girl. And then she got typecasted as a Chanel girl. And so the antics of that are pretty funny. I won't spoil it because we need our listeners to just tune in. Well, Melissa is also incredibly funny and witty. And I imagine that if you work with her, you're laughing all day long. Well, I'm excited for our listeners to hear her story, and get her personality through this interview. So should we just roll the tape, if you will? Let's do it. All right. Episode 198 with Melissa Sparrow. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to be here with Melissa Sparrow. She's the president, Shiseido U.S. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Hi. I'm really thrilled to be here, too. Thanks for having me, Jody. So, Melissa, I've never met you in person in real life, but um, I did have a really great chat with you a few months ago, and you made me laugh, like, <laughs> the whole entire conversation, <laughs> so I can just imagine where we're, where we're heading today. Um, and I wonder if other people would think, like, the president of, you know, the U.S. for a big corporation would be um, as funny um, to talk to and fun to talk to as you are. Um, I'm wondering if people get, um, you know, kind of surprised by it. Well, um, probably not everyone thinks I'm funny, but I do think having a sense of humor um, when you're in retail and certainly when you're an executive is really important because everything can get incredibly serious too fast uh, and it can be stressful, certainly with the times we've gone through. So I think that having a sense of humor where appropriate and probably where not appropriate for me um, is kind of a way of, you know, enjoying like every day. It really helps me when... um People are not robotic because it reminds me that we're all human, right? Yes. I, I do feel like there's a lot of people in our business who are really robotic. And it catches that catches me off guard because I'm like, we're in a, bu- a business where we're touching people's faces, right? It's a, it should be a really human business, but sometimes, um, you know, it's really not. It's true. I think this industry um, and probably why it's been so resilient so, through so many things is because the nature of what we do is possibility of self. 
whether it's, you know, skincare, like I'm going to change something that's wrong with my skin. Like there's a lot of correcting for improving and makeup. I've always thought is really a psychologically impactful thing. That's powerful. I mean, people can be having the worst life and even, you know, call it a bad day and they go somewhere and try on a new lipstick or somebody teaches them how to do their eyeliner and, and they say, wow, you have pretty eyes. And, you know, I've heard people and read customer service letters, you know, where they say, no one's complimented me on myself in a year, you know, and you don't realize to your point how personal this all really is. And to touch someone's face um, and be that close, it's, it's intimate. So um, it's a kind of a big privilege we have in the industry and how we interact with people. I love that you're talking about the experience of um, interacting with brands at retail because, you know, there's so much focus now on um, a digital customer and we can't touch her face, you know, yeah. um, digitally, digitally, um, right? And um, we can't compliment her because we can't, like, actually see her digitally. Yes. Um, so, you know, this is, I think, a, we're going to see maybe some innovation here, right? Because we're still going to want to be digital first because we know it works. But we'll have to innovate that, you know, person-to-person experience, For sure. I I mean, digital obviously is going to continue to be at the forefront. Look, do I think that like the online business um, and, you know, social selling has a future? Of course. Um, But the level of penetration it's at now, I don't think will sustain. Again, I do think there's something very experiential about beauty, whether it's fragrance or skincare or makeup. Um, And it's something that's also social from like going with your friends. Do you know what I mean? To go, mm-hmm. to go do that together and ask each other's opinion. And uh, so I think, you know, they say brick and mortar is coming back and I'm watching that in the numbers. So I think it'll find a new balance. I don't think it'll go back to where it was and I don't think it's going to stay where it is now. But how we touch people sitting at home on their computer or on their phone, um, I do think motivates their behavior when they do choose to, to go in a store or not or go to a counter or, you know, go hit an Ulta or Sephora or something like that. Yes, I um I say to clients and friends that the customer's already made her decision before she walks in the door. Yep. Um, but that experience when she does walk in the door can upsell, right? Can introduce her to new categories, right? There's still a possibility um to inspire her when she's there. But she already knows, you know, what brand of hair dryer she wants to buy. You know, when she gets there, yes. um, there's just there's more potential for what kind of a customer and a loyal customer she can become after that. Completely agree. It's just about having a relationship at all touch points, right? That's like ideal. Um, And I think that's what every brand is shooting for. Well, Melissa, let's go back in time to let's say the 11-year-old Melissa. And if someone asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you have said? Oh gosh, there were so many things I wanted to do. And I would definitely tell you my parents like naysayed so many. Um, I for sure wanted to be a German auto mechanic. Um, And I had an orthopedic surgeon father and a mom who was a nurse and a psychologist. So they were all very like medical, super educated family. Um, I have a twin brother as well, who was also super smart and very academic. And I was the person like back at that age that would like raise my hand in class and say, what, how will this affect my income? And I would get like thrown out (laughs) and sent to the office because again, like how is algebra going to like change my life? So I, I think I always wanted to do something that was really tactile. Um, and I learned at an early age, I liked fixing things and doing things. I love old cars, which is, and I've always loved cars, weirdly. Um, so that's probably where the German auto mechanic came from. Um, I wanted to be a photographer and I went to college for that. 
um, and studied that and, and fancied like this whole life, this imagined life, you know what I mean, of being like a fashion photographer. And here I was in Baltimore only to realize like, really, Melissa, like, how are you going to support yourself like doing that? I, w- I knew I'd end up doing like weddings and like bar mitzvahs, right? So um, I quickly changed courses on that. Um, but I had a lot of ideas of what I wanted to be. And I do think I fell into this industry by learning how to do makeup because I was a photographer, um, you know, a uh, more amateur one, but getting gigs and stuff. And I really wanted to get in to like the few people that had really good work. So I had to learn how to do makeup to go in as a makeup artist to watch them shoot. And so that's how makeup started in my life. Um, and then a friend from there um, told me, oh my gosh, Nordstrom's opening in Baltimore. Melissa, you should come there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to, I don't want to work at the mall. I'm like, that feels like a loser thing to do. I'm like, you know, in my early twenties at this point. And um, he's like, no, there's this company called Mac and you'll love them. And they wear all black like you do. So like, you know, as if your wardrobe should dictate your career. So, and it was like a journey. I mean, I could go on. There's like a story from there. And um, I was really enthralled with Mac. And I also really fell in love with Nordstrom right away, like meeting the people and how entrepreneurial it even was back then. So it was, it was, it ended up being kind of cool, but there's something weird. You go to, in high school, right? You go to the mall, like after school or on the weekend with your friends. So that's not kind of where you think you're going to end up, you know, later in life. Um, but again, of course, it was a great stepping stone uh, to my career. Let's go back in time because when, on our first conversation, you told me that um, you were just convinced, you knew that you were going to be a famous photographer. Yes, I was so, so sure of it. That's like a very like Lady Gaga mindset, right? Lady Gaga knew she was, you know, when she was a teenager that she was going to be famous. Um, where did that inner confidence come from? I don't know. I've always had a very rebellious attitude. Um, definitely a nightmare person to probably raise. Um, and I remember my mom always trying to give me good uh, guidance. And she was very supportive, but she was also very critical too in an expectation kind of way. So, you know, for everything she wanted me to do, um, I didn't want to do it because she wanted me to, right? Like, you know, those personalities. So um, I didn't want to follow the traditional path. And I remember thinking at a young age, um, and this sounds so superficial, but I remember thinking money's freedom and I need to go make money so I can move out of my house, have my own place and go make the life I want to make happen. Um, out from under my parents. You know what I mean? I don't want to like go get a master's degree or PhD or something. That did not uh, work for me. So I was always, I had two and three jobs sometimes in the summers uh, because again, I just wanted to stockpile and I wanted to go create whatever life and whatever possibility. And I wasn't actually sure as I got older what that was going to be, um, but I just trusted my gut that I would figure it out. And I knew I would land on my feet somehow. And if something doesn't work, because I did think like, you know, like younger people sometimes are scared to change their life. Like I'll talk to somebody at work, many roles I've had, and they're like 25 years old. And they're like, oh, I don't know, Melissa. I don't know if I want to do marketing and I'm scared to change. I'm like, you've done marketing for four years. Do you know what I mean? Like you could do anything you want. Um, and actually it's been really interesting and exciting to see. I've worked with people at other companies and brands who left and went to law school. And they'd had a job like in the field and beauty um, and they loved it, but they knew they didn't want to do that. And I was highly encouraging, you know, like, like, listen, these experiences will help you. Do you know what I mean? In anything else you do. So I do think people should never feel stuck. And, you know, who knows? I always think maybe I'll have another gig in me of what I'm going to do with my life. Right. 
That's right. Um, there's always chances um, to learn and more opportunity. So, um, you know, I want to go back in time to this um, when you were going to be moving out of the house, become a famous photographer. Did you go to college? I did. I went to um, a local college in Maryland um, for two semesters, and I literally hated it. Um, again, I did not sit there and feel like, you know, you have to take your basic 100 courses. And again, I'm like, how is this helping me? So I kept working. Um, I ended up getting a really great job. I talked my way into getting this great bartending job downtown. Um, and technically I shouldn't have been behind the bar because I was too young. Um, and it was kind of in the more exciting part of town, you know, where like every colorful person in Baltimore lived and it was open late. And I met like so many famous people working there. And I learned a lot about life behind that bar more than I learned at college. So I stopped there and I moved downtown and got in an apartment and, um, a friend of mine said to me, because if I was doing photography, um, you should go to the Maryland Institute College of Art. And I thought, oh gosh, I'll never get in there. It's terribly expensive. Um, but I took some, some classes at night. I did love it. And I then applied to go to the, you know, main full-time school. And they actually all gave me a scholarship, uh, to go. And so I went there for about mm, three years. And this again, will be heartbreaking to many people. I'm probably 18 credits short of graduating. I dropped out, um, because again, I had all these career opportunities um, and more chances to grow, like working, which again, somehow resonated with me. And I don't know that back then, I wouldn't give that advice to someone today because it's different. The world is definitely different today, but um, I was like, that's okay, I'll work my way up. Whatever I'm gonna do, I'll work my way up. Um, so that that's pretty much what my, my academic, and again, it's still probably a little bit shameful to my family, even though they're very proud of me, but I did not follow the straight and narrow at all. So let's um, let's go back to this time when your friend recommended that you go get a job at the mall um, because you wear all black. <laughs> um, do you remember your interview? Yes, I definitely do. This was hilarious. So I had to interview um, with Nordstrom first, and I did, and they felt that I would be a very, very good um, Chanel counter manager. That's, what, that's how I profiled, which was really odd. Um, and I actually think it was this necklace I had on. Uh, that day that kind of looked <laughs> leaned that, that direction, you know? And, um, but I told them I wanted to work for Mac, which was this semi like unknown brand. I had driven down to Montgomery Mall Nordstrom, which was open at the time because I read about Mac and heard about Mac and I loved their philosophy, which was all races, all ages, all sexes. And I'm like, oh, those are my people. Those are my people. I love the whole like Mac AIDS fund, everything about it. My best friend had passed away of AIDS and um, I don't know, you know, you just feel a connection, right? And so I interviewed with Mac and I had a whole portfolio, by the way, of work, because remember I was a photographer and a makeup artist. So they saw me completely opposite. I was creative, et cetera. Um, and back then people didn't know what Mac was. They, people would walk up to the counter and say, what's Mac's? Um, and so I ended up taking a job as the counter manager at Mac in this little Nordstrom in Maryland. And, um, Boom, within a year, there were opportunities like Nordstrom's like, we'd like you to go be the department manager like at Montgomery Mall in Bethesda, Maryland. And then from there, hey, we want you to go open our new Annapolis store. Oh, go to King of Prussia. That's a new store. And then they, I eventually got a job in the buying office um, in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, which I did for a few years. But I, it, I loved it, but I did miss Mac. There was something again about that. 
as plain Jane, really. I'm probably the most vanilla looking Mac person you'd ever see. But, you know, who we are to me is on the inside, you know, the way you think and feel and how you look at life. Um, Because I didn't have like, you know, at the time, such wild makeup or tattoos or some of the other things people associate with Mac people. Um, But again, I just like the diversity. I love the diversity, not only of the people, but even the customers. Um, So I ended up finding my way back to Mac when a job posted and I interviewed for that. And I was shocked I got the job. So... Um, let's talk about the mall because um, you can hear my New Jersey when I say the mall. The mall. Let's talk about the mall. Um, I live near the Short Hills Mall. Okay. Um, but I, but I grew up going to the Livingston Mall yes. or the Willowbrook Mall. <laughs> anyway, so um, you know when I'm 45, so when I was in my 20s, late teens and 20s, um, people got jobs at the mall. Right? It was like a summer job. I Correct. worked at Express over holiday break, folding sweaters. Right? There was like opportunities to sit at the mall. So um, malls are different now. They're not the hub of activity. They're not the place that people go to meet or to um, spend time or shop. So um, what is that new? opportunity for young people because so many people in industry start at the mall. They start at the counter, right? And then they're like you are able to navigate around the industry in different roles. Um, What are we replacing that opportunity with? Well, look, I still think there's some opportunity. I think there'll always be a need for, you know, at least fundamentally what I would call like field leadership, you know, regional jobs and brands, because as long as there's brick and mortar stores, you need people out there you know, managing, hiring and motivating, you know, and like I like to say, kind of casting these stores Mm -hmm. um, because they are your brand first and foremost. And um, so I do think that, but I do think, again, as business continues to be digital, um, you know, that footprint shrinks, right? So you have less stores, less opportunities, et cetera, that way. You know, I think, again, Um, call it this generation, you know, I mean, there's a couple of them at this point, you could say that really grew up with a digital mindset. So I actually find a lot of people going into social media positions, studying that and trying to enter into companies that way. I also think really interestingly, that with more possibilities of remote working, I think there's more chances for people to get jobs versus just being based in New York or based in LA. And so I'm, I'm optimistic because I think when you have either with more of a hybrid or more people working remotely, it really broadens the opportunity today for talent to come from anywhere in the country, right? Um, and I'm, I'm eager about kind of that attitude of not, because think about how many people even probably you know that had opportunities in their life, but they had to live in New York to do it or they had to move to New York and they're like, oh, but I have a life here. And you know what I mean? And they didn't want to make that last, that change because it's, it's a thing, right, to, to live in New York. Yeah, you know, I'm wondering if, because um, I, I agree with you that there'll, there'll be some opportunities still at retail. It just won't be that, you know, there won't be this need for like, you know, hundreds of bodies seasonally, right? The way that there used to be. Um, but I wonder if like we're going to be looking to affiliates of like, right, maybe there's like amazing affiliate partners that are, you know, selling a lot on behalf of my brand. And I'll start to notice that and say, hey, like you might actually be great to work here, right? Well, social selling, your point, like, you know, there's live streaming, there's live chat. I think there's more of that. Um, obviously happening now, all of us are doing that kind of thing. The question is, how much does that really stick? How much revenue will that ultimately? And let's be honest, how many people are still sitting at home 
Do you know what I mean? And making TikToks and doing all of these things and kind of becoming their own celebrity um, and influencer. Now, again, do I think that's everyone's ticket in to start a career in retail? No, I don't think that that's going to be the only way in. Um, But I think it's going to be a little bit more fragmented, kind of what we're talking about. There's going to be different ways to do it. But I do think if somebody said to me today, hey, Melissa, I want a career in beauty. Um, I would absolutely say working on the front line, like boots on the ground in stores is a really great experience because knowing how to treat a customer and to show somebody, do you know what I mean, what they want and what they didn't even know they wanted, which is why they've come for your expertise, is such an invaluable experience. Um, And dealing with all the personalities that you do, I also think really helps to build up a constitution of even as you get older, working in a work environment where, again, you can have a lot of smart people in a room, but the ones I find that can navigate different personalities um, tend to thrive better um, because they know how to have those human skills and those people skills that I really think take people places. I loved my training um, when I worked at Luxiton in Provence. We had, you know, over 100 stores in the U.S., so there's always a store to go into to help support or, um, you know, like um, during the holidays, we were there like almost every day, the the, um, the staff in the headquarters. Yeah. And I love the training on like how to interact with customers, how to make them feel welcome, but don't be like on top of them, um, how to help them navigate. Because yeah, most people come into stores like that and they don't know what they're there for. They're there for a gift, you know, and they just need some guidance and help. Right. Um, and like, I literally like, um, shop that way now. Like I'm, I'm like a secret shopper. I'm always like looking, I'm like, I'm always engaging with staff in the stores, you know, with this training in my mind, how are they going to react to this question? How are they going to handle it? How are they greeting me? How are they giving me these like um, warm welcomes? And, um, I mean, I guess I probably do it in a reflex way, just in my normal day to day, even when I'm not secret shopping. It's such a great foundation. It is. And, and let's be honest. I mean, I don't know. I should ask you, if you were to, you know, FaceTime with a friend versus seeing them in person, don't you get a different kind of feeling out of that? Um, so I think it's the same for the consumer, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, you can have a live chat, you can shop online. Uh, there's a lot of things that watch a stream, interact with it. But when you go in and meet somebody who you like, do you know how you meet somebody when you're at retail and they're like funny mm-hmm. and you're like commenting on like, oh my God, I love what you're wearing. And, you know, they're just engaging and want to help you. Um, figure out, and again, show you possibilities. That to me is retail. That's the finest moment at retail when you leave like excited about something you didn't even know that you were going to get. And um, and you met somebody really cool. And it's a instant gratification. I remember being like a teenager and as a teenager at the Short Hills Mall, you go to J. Crew, and if they didn't have exactly like the size or the color you wanted, there was this phone, <laughs> this phone you could pick up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a special phone for anybody younger than me. There was a special phone in the corner of the store with a catalog right in front of it. And you could pick up the phone and it would automatically take you to customer service. And from that phone, you could say, I want these jeans in this color, in this size, and they'd mail them to your house. And that was amazing service, but it meant you did didn't leave with the jeans, right? It was a, it was kind of like, okay, well, I'll get the jeans, but I don't have them now, right? So there is this instant gratification that's really wildly exciting when you're shopping in real life. It's true. Um, even though Amazon brings us things very quickly, it's not instantaneously, right? So, um, And it's not unexpected either. Remember, it's the surprise. It's the, again, meeting someone that showed you something. I'm sure you have this experience when you shop beauty too. 
and you would never thought you would have bought that product. Like it wouldn't look good on you. Do you know what I mean? Or you just didn't see it. And then you try it. Um, and you're like, oh my gosh, I never would have known this. I never would have looked at this until this person told me. So Melissa, I want to shift gears because I want our listeners to know how someone becomes the president of um, the U.S. of this like big global company um, who started as a photographer learning makeup and who didn't finish college. How do you get there? Oh, wow. Um, And I guess, first of all, everyone's journey is different. And I think, I don't know. I mean, uh, be scrappy. Um, I would tell people all day long to, you know, do what you're doing well. Do you know what I mean? And make sure you're taking people on your journey. Um, I think anyone that um, is successful as a leader, um, it's been on the back of and with others that made them look good. So it's not about yourself at all. And uh, the more you climb, let's say, in responsibility, the more you realize. Do you know what I mean? And you're grateful for having people around you that have strengths you do not. Um, and I learn more from the people that quote work for me than anything constantly. And while I certainly have an opinion and I'm confident in all of that, there's no doubt. Um, I never want to stop learning. And I also never want to stop helping other people get where they want to go. And so I think when you're of, um, some kind of a mindset like that, and again, have a scrappy nature of, I don't know how to do this. I mean, I've taken jobs in my life or been promoted and literally said, I don't actually know how to do part of this job. Like I'd say that in the interview and they're like, oh, you'll learn. Oh, you'll figure it out. Um, and I remember thinking, okay, are they completely desperate? Do they possibly have no other candidates? Because who says that, right? Um, but you do, you figure it out. And um, I, I always say to people, don't be afraid. Do you know what I mean? Don't be scared because the unknown is scarier than, as you know, than when you get there you know, to something and you're like, oh my gosh, I have this, you know, and it takes time. And then as you build more of those experience, your confidence will come with it. Um, and again, you build a network of people that'll help you, um, et cetera. I mean, I've called friends that were outside of the industry in jobs I've had in the past. And I'm like, I'm being asked to do this and I'm lost and I don't even internally know what to do. I know your company, which isn't even in our industry, does this. What, what, how do you guys solve these problems? And just start asking questions and be vulnerable. Do you know what I mean? To um, not act like you know everything because there's nothing, I think, that's such a turnoff, right? So it's so interesting the way that you speak about this and this vulnerability because I I wonder, like, as part of the world's perfectionist tendencies, that people feel like they have to come with all the answers, right? Um, and it's so refreshing to hear that um, it's okay to say, I don't know how to do it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill it. I'm going to figure it out and be awesome at it. Um, yeah, one thing I love asking people, I mean, I interviewed somebody today for a role and I said, if you were in the job tomorrow, what would you need to be successful? And it's funny, people pause on that because they know, do you know what I mean? They're going to say something that would look negative. And I always like literally, you know, push them up against the wall on it. I'm like, I need to know something. I said, you haven't done this job. So like, what would make you scared in your stomach? Right. Um, and they, and she, and the woman had an answer and I said, see, and that's good to know right? Because you don't know everything. Like when you take a new role, um, some of it, you know, and the rest you are going to learn and figure out. Um, and it's nice if it's an open kind of partnership, if that makes sense, because people want to see other people uh, be successful fundamentally. Yeah. Melissa, not, not everybody's like you though. You know, I'm sure we have listeners whose bosses <laughs> or their boss's boss or, you know, 
completely the opposite of this and expect this, you know, everyone to know everything at all the moments and not to have to learn. And um, those are really difficult environments to thrive in. I certainly had, you know, have been there um, where um, you feel lost at sea and, there, and there's no way, no support. Um, so it's, yeah. It's scary, by the way. I don't mean to be utopian and I agree, but look, I think in the end, companies are, are companies and brands are brands but it's all about people. So what it feels like every day is who you're doing it with, period. And I have seen and experienced enough in my life watching people care and work harder than any money you could give them because they love what they do so much and they feel so fulfilled and feel like who they are in their work environment is meaningful and making a difference. And as contrived or whatever as that could sound, it's true. I always say I would stand outside in 110 degrees and shovel shit with certain people because it's them. Do you know what I mean? And I would do it every day and we would be laughing and having a good time and doing a great job. You know, I want to win and I want to be successful, trust me. But like everyone's coming with, you know what I mean? Until, of course, it doesn't work out. And occasionally it doesn't. But again, I don't know. I just think that the culture of a company or a brand is everything uh, to its success. So um, our last question, and it's a very big shift in gears. Um, you told me that your LinkedIn account had gotten hacked. Oh gosh, this is hilarious. Um, <laughs> I've never, I, I, don't, I mean, knock on wood, this hasn't happened to me. I guess I never really thought anyone would spend the time hacking a LinkedIn account. Can you tell me what went down? Oh my gosh, it was, and Jody, I'm that person. Like, you know how you watch like those commercials on TV, like this farmer and they're like, hey, if you take this medication, you're going to grow a horn on your head and like things like that. Like I'm that person that's like that 1%. Um, so that's also probably why I have a sense of humor because I'm like, oh my God, am I getting punked? Like all these things that have happened in my life. Um, but I'm also like fight club, like dust off. Do you know what I mean? Get back up. <laughs> Just keep getting back up. But um yeah, so I forgot what you asked me. How about that? That's LinkedIn, so you were LinkedIn. Oh, the hack. hack for that. That was hilarious. So I literally logged in. This was years ago. LinkedIn was a bit newer. And I logged in and it was really odd. And, you know, I'm respectably, you know, technology savvy. I'm not like a genius or something, um, but I'm not like a complete loser either, right? So I'm literally in and I see like all these like sent invitations or I see, and I see the people accepting and I'm like, what is going on? And you could actually, it was really odd. Like you could actually see the account like in activity, almost like it was a TV uh, show uh, versus me touching the screen. So of course I like shut it down. I reopened, I logged out. I did all of those things and I went back in and it was literally linking me, linking in with people that I have fired um, it linked in with, um, sadly, an executive in the last company I was at who was dead. Um, and I was like, oh, my gosh, there are no words. And it was so embarrassing because some of the people that were creepy that I did not want to associate with, you know what I mean? Again, like this all didn't end well, were writing me, oh, my gosh, I never thought I'd hear from you again. And I'm like, you're not hearing from me. You're hearing from this platform. So it was horrifying. Luckily, my assistant at the time, random, um, her sister worked at LinkedIn, actually in Ireland, and she had to call her and she was in like a corporate position and they had to go in and fix it. Um, and they said it has happened. But again, it was like, you know, one in 800 million people this happens to. Um, and by the way, I stayed off LinkedIn for a long time. 
which, you know, obviously it's not like some strong career move or anything, but <laughs> I was just like, I'm sorry, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I stayed out of it for a while. Oh my God. It's terrifying and kind of like an awesome story at the same time, just because like, you know, I understand like people wanting to hack like celebrity accounts because it, you know, it's like a badge of honor for a hacker, but, um, you know, to, to, for someone to bother with LinkedIn, <laughs> it's like, what are they doing with their time? I know. I almost wondered if it, you know, obviously if it was some kind of like a software glitch versus it, you know, but they said it was like a hack and they go in and like get people's info and then, you know, try to connect and get other people's information, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I guess that was, you know, wow. You know, who wants to get into like the CIA of like the beauty, like industry of people, right? But, oh, well. Well, thank you for sharing that LinkedIn horror story. I think it's important that everyone is aware that this can happen. Um, check out your LinkedIn's. And we met over LinkedIn, you and I. So I know. Um, I'm glad that you got back into the game. Absolutely. It was great connecting with you. I We probably would never have crossed paths otherwise, right? Right. Well, certainly not um, virtually. Absolutely. But I'm excited to get back to New York. I was actually thinking maybe this summer I'll send an email to my database and say, hi, I'm going to come to my New York and hang out. I go to my office in New York and hang out. Does anybody want to meet me? Yes, I <laughs> like, think Because I don't be even great. know, like, like, do people want to have coffee? Do they not want to have coffee? I think I'll just have, like, an open house and, like, you know, make little appointments. Um, oh, it's all coming back. I think people do want to see each other. It's really... Our company recently did a like a volunteer thing uh, with like my peers, my boss did it, and we all went into New York. There were a few people that couldn't come or couldn't make it, and literally we were laying eyes on each other after over a year, and it was super familiar right away, but also weird. Do you know what I mean? In that first like few moments of like, oh my gosh, it's you, you know, um, which I know sounds so crazy to say it that way, and it was a really great day. Um, cause we were doing stuff outside, you know, volunteer stuff. And so again, outside and all of that, but, um, again, sometimes you don't know what you're missing until you have it in front of you again. Right. Well, Melissa, it's been amazing to get to know you and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your stories with our fans. Oh, well, thanks. I don't know if I'd call it wisdom or just, you know, a lot of miles <laughs> on my back. Right. But thank you for having me. And, um, I really appreciate it. And, uh, all the best to you. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Melissa. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.